It's the Rotten Retro Time Machine! Whatever, mate. Welcome back. Welcome back to the... Uh, I've interrupted myself already. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone else is finding sanctuary in the chase. But you know the, you know the Dark Destroyer? Yeah. When he says, uh, middle offer £6,000, and then uh, it says, or I'll offer you... 35,000, 35,000 pounds. <laughs> I just did the double, double, the Dark Destroyer double. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. You are the Mark Destroyer. See what I did Mark there? Mark Destroyer, yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. Uh, there'll, be people, there'll be people falling off their chairs at that. You okay? Yeah, yeah I'm all right. Um, obviously, we're carrying uh, the load of no... Uh, no Gary this week. Uh, no. We've lost little Gary. What a game of cards that was. <laughs> yes, but that, hey, have, you, have you heard? By the way, I, I, I have thought about this. Poor old Gary. So can't be with us tonight. So we um, have you heard him moaning about when he listens back to the podcast that we've recorded, and he always says his voice sounds really squeaky, even though I don't think it does. You? I don't know. No, I don't get that. No. No, but he, he said it to you as well, hasn't he? He said it to no, both of No, it's really annoying when he says it. I know. Yeah. Well, well, mate, for him, so that he can feel like he's here when he's listening to this. <laughs> I've got a little squeaky toy thing. So we can say that's Gary. What's that, Gary? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> to so Gary to can be fair, his jokes have got better. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually... This is actually a... <laughs> Uh, this isn't a euphemism. A one-eyed octopus. Uh, that the, the, uh, the, the dog. The dog. We got the dog, uh, and she's been chewing it, and she chewed a knife. But the squeak still works. So this is get this. This is for Gary now. So Gary can feel like he's contributed. Are you sure you're not squeezing Barry Gibb? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a B, a BG in a box. Squeezing Barry Gibb yeah. sounds like the greatest euphemism yet yeah. to be written. Yeah, it's uh, a shame Gary's not here though because his popularity is soaring. It has to be said. Oh, we've had, uh, had a listener uh, contact us reminiscing about his uh, uh, stint at the Little Chef, and I, I had to break the news. He was only there for six months, as people will find out later in this podcast. Because um, we, we've, with Gary not being here, we. Uh, remember some archive material that we did when we were um prepping for this and he tells this brilliant story about the little chef so uh as part of 1986 tonight people will get to hear that when it was recorded it was recorded slightly differently uh with broadband being even worse than it is now so there are some one or two moments we can only apologize for that but uh i think it's uh quite funny but just going back to what he was saying about, oh, I hate listening to myself back. That is precisely what I hate. When I'm watching uh, like a chat show and a, a, an actor comes on and they say, oh, what was it like watching yourself in that Oscar winning performance? And they're like, darling, I hate to watch myself. <laughs> <laughs> they all say it. They all say it. Hang on, hang on. What's that, Gary? Yeah, he says he hates it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I should I should mention before we do uh, roll up our sleeves and and crack on with this that um, 
we've had some really nice donations. Obviously, we're doing this podcast to uh, raise money for um, the Nomad Centre at the YMCA in yeah. Lincoln, which is Lincolnshire's only emergency night shelter uh, for the homeless. So um, we're obviously raising money for that. And your donations are really appreciated. Um, and uh, we also have, uh, just because we really like music, you, you, you and Gary have been putting together a spotify playlist as well i think yeah we have so each year we do um at the, when we post when we upload the the, the 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 latest podcast whatever year that is there will be a, a a playlist for that year that gary and i have put together of some some tunes sort of about 15 to 20 tunes from that year so uh so again just something to listen to when you're either sat sat working from home or, or trying to chill out or driving around or riding your bike or whatever so yeah so all, all good stuff uh, but yeah, those donations have been really, really, very much appreciated, and uh, and and thank you for the kind comments and feedback that we've been getting as well. And um, I think more important, it seems from the fact from the figures, Mark, more and more people seem to be finding us, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and hopefully staying with us as well. So so that's good. Yeah. So um, there's no uh, no real natural sign off point. So <laughs> no, but mate, I, I'm sorry about. It. I was going to say that there is still, you know, when we go into this 1986, there is still the Gorn list. There's uh, there's still lots of other bits about 1986 and Gary's great story as well. Oh, hang on. Yeah, that's right, Gary. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, your little chef story is getting a shout. Good stuff. So, uh, we should just go into it then. Yeah. Should we do it? Yeah. We do it? Okay. Yeah, or I have to mention Barry Gibb again. That's, that won't work. <laughs> Squeezing Barry Gibb. We need between now and the next podcast, we need to think of a euphemism for that. We need to invent a euphemism for what that. I've already be. thought of one. I think that everyone else will have by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Answers on a answers on a postcard, please. For me, the most shocking. Looking back at some of, some of the facts and figures, the most shocking event of 1986 was a musical one. So apparently, the top three, the best-selling single of 1986, no surprise here. The Communards, Don't Leave Me This Way. Number two was Nick Berry, Every Loser Wins. Ah. Number three, Boris Gardner, I Want to Wake Up With You. But apparently, the 47th best-selling single of 1986 was... Sue Pollard starting together. Come on. Sue Pollard. Uh, the, only, the only one, the only thing I don't believe about that is that it isn't higher. That that was massive. That it was linked to a TV show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she had she had a full album of tracks. I thought people went crazy for it. So did I. My sister loved it. I'm I thought sure you'd have been in Bohemian Rhapsody territory of nine weeks at number one, then uh, only to be superseded by Brian Adams, Everything I Do, only to be superseded by Sue Pollard. <laughs> Sue Pollard, only the artist Jenny Eclair wants to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> there were 20 different number ones in 1986. 
And so there were still 26 songs more popular, aside from the number ones, more popular than Sue Pollard. And I just cannot believe that. Well, I'm hoping one of those was uh, Camouflage by Stan Ridgway. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Hey, that, I really hope it was. The, um, one, of, one of them was the theme tune to uh, Top of the Pops by Paul Hardcastle. Was it? Oh, it was, yeah. That's right. Because Phil Lynott did the previous one, didn't he? Yes. He also died, he died in 1986. And, um, Mark, haven't you got a... I, I, I seem to remember in some sort of hazy pub story memory that you've got a, a Sue Pollard story. I think it's a Vicky Michelle story. Wasn't she a mock? Spencer's. I'm not, I mean, I really hope it is a Vicky Michelle story. Wasn't yeah. she a Marks and Spencer's or something? Sue Pollard? And then she was packing her. I've got, I remember what it is now. Oh. You said, this is great, isn't it? I'm now your brain. <laughs> you said that you were in Marks and Spencer's in Lincoln, yeah. getting a sandwich at lunchtime, and you looked across at the next checkout, and Sue Pollard was there, bagging, buying some stuff and bagging up. Yeah. And when she got her change, because nobody was paying her any attention, she just turned around and threw her arms out and went, goodbye, everybody, I love you all, and walked out. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. Um, Vicky Michelle was, I think she was starring in Dad's Army, the theatre play. I'm going like going off on a tangent here, but anyway, she somebody asked Vicky Michelle if she'd be interested in uh, hosting this charity event and they said yeah and she said yes so that was great and then somebody um, sent me the num called me and gave me the number I wrote it down and I had um, her number in my trouser pocket and while I was walking home I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing and I nearly got run over and I dived to the side of the road <laughs> and relieved and then uh, put my hand in my pocket and then pulled out a piece of paper that said Vicky Michelle with a phone number on. And I just thought, <laughs> what would have happened if I'd actually been hit by the car? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the police had, oh, um, has he got any ID on him? No, but there's a, there's a phone number for a Vicky Michelle. <laughs> the same name as the woman from Hello, Hello. Perhaps we should ring her and let her know. <laughs> Did you did you not think at that moment that that was divine intervention that you'd been saved for better things with Vicky and Michelle? <laughs> I think uh, I I wouldn't have said it was divine in intervention. I mean, it, it could have been could have been Sue Pollard's number in my pocket, couldn't it? You know, if I was a bit more confident at the checkout. Nineteen eighty six fact in December the first case of Mad Frankie Fraser. Well, I was going to say calf disease, but yes, Mad Frankie Fraser. I can't well, believe told... his first case was in 1986. <laughs> well, I think he went back way further than that. But I have to tell you, I, I've met him. I told you this story. I, mean, I, I actually photographed him. He was doing some book launch. Uh, and in my, again, my previous life as a press photographer, I, um, I, 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 we sat and we interviewed him, did some photographs of him. And, and he was actually just a walking stereotype. It was just like, he actually came out with the classic line, of course, back then, 
you know, my mum could leave her back door open. I'm like, well, of course your mum could leave her back door open. You're mad Frankie Fraser. <laughs> who's going to come in and do over mad Frankie Fraser's mum? You know, Al-Qaeda. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, my old nan could walk down there. Of course she could walk down the street without getting attacked. She's your grandmother. Yeah. I couldn't leave my back door open because Mad Frankie Fraser would get in there. <laughs> when you said you'd met him, I thought you were going to say, Lincoln Nick, 87. <laughs> we did a two-stretch together. <laughs> yeah, Mad Frankie Fraser. Yeah, just unbelievable. Just you could, my mum could leave her back door open back then. He did, uh, he did serve in Lincoln Prison, didn't he? <laughs> Amongst others. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, probably did them all. He did. Um, I want to go back into my... I've actually come a bit prepared here with some other 1986 facts. And apparently in 1986, uh, the uh, first attempt to get Sunday shopping through the House of Commons uh, was defeated. Uh, although obviously it eventually came in in 1994. But do you remember Sundays, like proper old school Sundays? Yeah, well, they were like preparation for lockdown, weren't they? It were like, this was like our military training for 2020. Started pre-1986 with uh, the inability. They've forgotten it. <laughs> Pre-match pre, pre training, it began in 1986 with a Sunday roast, an episode of Star Soccer, followed by Highway to Heaven. <laughs> it, and, I think it really started on Saturday afternoon with a race down the toilet roll aisle at Tesco. As many you could get in your basket to see you through till Monday morning. <laughs> and don't forget three bottles of hand sanitizer. Like an early version of supermarket supermarket sweep. <laughs> supermarket wipe. <laughs> the M25 opened. Chris Rear was all over that first day, I tell you. <laughs> Was he, uh, well, I imagine the opening committee is still on it. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, apparently it was, it is, it covers 122 miles with 31 junctions. But in 1986, when it opened, there was no service stations on it. There's probably something to be said for a 1980s uh, roadside cafe compared to what we enjoy now. A little chef. Yeah. Did you ever actually eat at a little chef? Yeah. I used, I used to be a little chef. <laughs> you still are. <laughs> it's my first when I between leaving school and starting sixth form for that summer, I worked on the M1 services at Leicester Forest East in a little chef. Wow. So if anyone had an early starter. Um, or an American-style breakfast, a number 10 or a number 11, as we called them. Um, oh, hang on, it's got a bit crazy on us. Yeah, as we called them. Is it true there was no ovens? It was just microwaves? There were, yeah, there were two microwaves, um, and we just had griddles and some deep, deep fat fryers. That was it. So all the bacon and stuff was cooked freshly, but if you wanted... The roast chicken leg that was a frozen thing that you put in the microwave um and they used to have um sticky uh thing like a 
I think it was say it was like chicken leg, this button, and um, chocolate fudge cake, this button, and, and that used to stick on the front of the microwave, but it was like um, static electricity. So that was all that was holding on. So it would slip down, and the number of times someone would put um, a chocolate fudge cake in, which should should have been done for about seven seconds, and they. They'd put it on and then press the button, and because the the little indicator of what the times were had slipped down, they'd press chocolate fudge cake, and it would be like two and a half minutes, and it, it would burn and stink the whole restaurant out. Happened so often, but yes, it that all, wasn't me. It all went a bit National Geographic there, didn't it? Inside the little chef. Well, I remember. <laughs> I remember there were stickers. They had sticky things. They were stickers. <laughs> Didn't and it would smell. Well, you, you had to, because like you had a break. What number was the Olympic breakfast? Um, that that was the full daily Thompson. I don't think we were doing the Olympic by then. I think that had been replaced by the early starter. That's why nobody ever stops in Leicester. It's fair enough. I don't even think it's a little chef anymore. I think it's a KFC or something now. Isn't that the case though, that lots of 80s eateries now just don't exist? Swiss Cottage, Wimpy. Yeah, Swiss true. Cottage did a great breakfast. The, um, and and Wim- they burnt their fudge cake. <laughs> Wimpy. It was funny. You can all, I think you can, always, you can always judge a place by whether it's got a Wimpy or not. And... The last time I ever saw one, I was in Cleethorpes. And I thought, yeah, this place deserves a wimpy. That is also the last place I ever saw a gollywog for sale in a shop window. And that was in Cleethorpes in 2010. Can you believe? Can you believe that? 2010. (laughs) No further questions, my lord. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, Swiss Cottage. Remember Swiss Cottage? Yeah. Bernie Inns. Oh, yeah, Bernie Inns. Special treat, your birthday. I never went on your birthday. That was it. Prawn cocktail, steak, uh, Swiss, uh, what's it, Black Forest Gatto, yeah. and then an Irish coffee, but because you were a kid, you couldn't have whiskey in it, so you'd just have it without the whiskey. I just I can't get beyond Gary's description of the little chef. It's... Genuinely, it was like watching the History Channel, somebody describing the Titanic, the the catering quarters of the Titanic. We we had once Paul Daniels and uh, Debbie McGee arrive. Um, What time of day? uh, Oh, it was it was early. So it was an early shift. So it's before one o'clock. It's probably a breakfast thing. And um, they left a tip of... Whoa, 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 back up, back up, back up. When they walked in, because I've read a book about when Sinatra first walked into Sally's Restaurant in New York, uh, how people behaved. And I just want to see how it compares. (laughs) So did did somebody walk up to you in the kitchen, a waiter perhaps, or waitress, nudge you in the ribs and say, he's here, he's here. (laughs) <laughs> no, because we were cooking in the open, so everybody could see us. We didn't, there wasn't a kitchen out the back. We had to kick, cook in front of everyone. Um, 
and then you'd shout out which, whichever table it was that something had to go to. And were you trying to catch his eye? Um, no, I was too busy trying to cook. I was, I was 16. What a professional. That's pressure. I know. You can't imagine how many things you have to, you know, you've got no, no training. Just go in and cook. And that was it. And, and you, you know, went home to your mum and you went home to your mum and dad, and they said, "What what happened at work today, Gary?" And you said, "I ruined Paul Daniel's eggs because I couldn't stop looking <laughs> at Debbie McGee." <laughs> he's, he wanted them over easy, and I'd him. I think I think he only had a coffee, so I didn't have to cook for him. Thank goodness. And of course, about half of you wanted when asked him if he enjoyed his meal. Arthur, you want to say, it was really good, and then leave it there. And Arthur, you want to say, I liked it, but not a lot. <laughs> I know, I know, that's, um, it was, yeah. It was, looking back on it, it was. It should have been more exciting than it was. I would have had your Daniels down as the Olympic breakfast. Like, like that breakfast was designed for a mu magician. You know, magician on tour, what are you going to have? Yeah, but what he could have done, maybe it was a money-saving thing. Maybe he ordered the smallest, cheapest breakfast and then like, put a cloth over it, waved his wand and pulled it back and there was an Olympic there. <laughs> interestingly, though, I say interestingly, obviously it's not, but on one side of the motorway was the little chef, on the other was the happy eater. Again, Rivals. This disappears. Um, and my sister used to work in the happy eater at the same time family rivalries this is yeah this isn't the m1 near leicester this is like the wild west isn't it it's like <laughs> like because we we were southbound <laughs> happy was northbound and on one day my it's sister, like gangland territory yeah. hey they never had paul daniels in the south band i'll tell you that we used to meet halfway at the Harvester. I've had David Nixon at the South. <laughs> <laughs> Ali Bongo turned up for that one. Yeah. And uh, one day, my sister was telling us that they had, um, you know, um, Mickey Dolenz from the Monkeys. Yeah. In uh, the Happy Eater. That, which is plausible because he lived in Newark. Yeah. Yeah. So they were. Uh, <laughs> Nobody, nobody sort of uh, uh, let on that they knew who he was. But she said they were all just walking around singing monkey songs nearby just to let, let him know that they knew who he was. It was only much later that they all found out that it wasn't Mickey DeLenz. It was actually Robin Asquith. <laughs> We knew it was someone famous, we just didn't know which one it was. <laughs> Confessions of a happy eater chef. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Confessions yeah, of a monkey lookalike. alike The lens was from Newark. Because, I, 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 again, in my days as a press photographer, he got done for speeding, and it was like something ridiculous of me fast. And, and, and it was like he was going to lose his licence, basically. And he turned up at Newark Magistrates Court and there was me and about six, seven other press photographers waiting for him. And as he walked down the street, he walked down the middle of the road, we all started singing. 
here he comes walking down the street while taking a photograph. And he started singing it himself and was laughing his head off. I that was a really good moment. He was a good bloke. And he stopped having a chat with us and stuff. He went, yeah, it was good. But yeah, here he comes walking down the street while being papped. <laughs> so, Daniels, Delens, not Delens, Asquith. Yeah. Mm. And I'll tell you who else came in. The fella, the fella who played, is his name um, Mr. Paul out of Crossroads? He was like a suave Italian or Spanish character. Oh, yes. Restaurant manager. Um, yes. Do you, remember, do you remember it? Do you know what I mean? He came in once. Um, and I was the only person who recognised him that time. <laughs> And what did he say about the place? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I was cooking, so I didn't get to speak to him. Only the waiting staff got to speak to the customers. Celebrity mis misidentifications. Again, back to my press photography days. When I was a trainee, one of the first things I had to do was photograph Jeffrey Hughes, who had not long come out of Coronation Street. Yeah. And he was doing a celebrity visit to Leicester Market. So whoever ran Leicester Market had paid him to go down for an hour. And this woman kept following him around the market all morning saying, Benny, Benny, say Miss Diane. Benny, say Miss Diane. And he kept looking at her. <laughs> looking at me. And I'm going, oh. And then, bear in mind, I was like 16, 17. And then I did these photographs. And this woman had appeared again. Benny, Benny, say, oh, Miss Diane. And he went, no, it's not me, love. It's not me. No, no, say it, Benny. Say it. It's not me. It's not me. And he walks off again like that. And he's getting right to the end of the visit. And this woman appears out of nowhere. And she goes, Benny, Benny, say, oh, Miss Diane. Oh, Miss Diane. And he just looks at her. And he went to go, no, listen, love. Oh, Miss Diane. It was just the easiest way out. <laughs> he was a great fella. What a really lovely chap he was. I, I, I still can't get my head beyond this flipping little chef facing the happy eater. Mm. At, at Christmas... Did you did you send each other Christmas cards, <laughs> or or did you did all members of staff like encroach to the um, middle bit of the M1 and play football? Because <laughs> 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 like, um, I don't know if you know that's the Forest East services, but it goes it's one of those that goes over the motorway. So it's like one of those bridge things. It's an award-winning um, design. Yeah. It's, it's a nationally exactly. pre preserved uh, uh, monument. Was it says, um, the little a And then in the, in the middle, you had the the, the the thing called the harvester, which was like a like a canteen kind of more competition. Hang exactly. on a minute, he's throwing the harvester into it here. Yeah, but yeah, so it was, um, but not harvester as you know it now. It was just a, it was, you know, it was a like a little rubbish cafe thing that didn't have a proper name. It's just what we called it. Um, and yeah, that's where we played the football match 
in the, in the house. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Paul Daniels was spoiled for choice, wasn't he? Oh, no, he could have gone anyway. Well, well, I'm yeah. thinking he probably did. If he only had it, like, because I had him down for an Olympic breakfast. <laughs> yeah. He probably... <laughs> he, he probably went to Happy Eater, was dissatisfied... Walked, walked over the footbridge, the award-winning footbridge, nationally preserved treasure to the misery of the businessman and the long-distance truck driver. Passed, looked at the harvester, thought, I don't fancy that either. Got down into the little chef, looked over <laughs> looked over and saw who was cooking and thought, do you know what, I'll just have a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happened? <laughs> Most times during the day, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, no. Or, no, no. or maybe he walked in a happy eater first and saw Ali Bongo sat there. I... Damn it, Bongo's treated me to it. I can't. I can't believe there were not more famous people who who uh, went to the happy eater yeah, <laughs> or yeah, little chef. You know, it's midway down the country. It's south. You know, it's on the way to London. You'd Equidistant think... between oh. London and. Liverpool, probably. But what no, a, what no, a... that, that, in the in the six months that I worked there, I think um, Paul Daniels and the fellow out of Crossroads were the only two famous people who came into the little chef while I was there. Uh, I've been six months working there, Gary. It's lived a lifetime in your heart, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, when I went in it, there were loads. Like Olympic breakfast, does to be fair. When I went in it, there were loads of photos on the wall of famous people who'd had the Olympic breakfast with, like, to the chef. <laughs> Tony, De- like, lots of love, Tony Danza. <laughs> Oh. Next time, next time we do one of these team these teams of things, I want a picture behind you on the, on the left. You'd be of Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee, and on the right, that bloke at a crossroads. <laughs> Black and white, though, obviously. Yeah, obviously. They're always black and white, aren't they? That's a belter. That. That is. Um... I, that. I never knew you. Were, I never knew you worked at the. Uh... He's 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 spent his life atoning for it, though, hasn't he? Like. Trying to trying to learn to cook now for the last thirty years. Yeah. I didn't I didn't want to cook then, but um, now I don't mind it. That's why I felt the MasterChef audition made a beautiful starter, an incredibly incredible main course with deep flavours, and then he microwaved his fudge thing for two minutes. And that was the end of that. <laughs> Set the fire alarms up. He, ma- he made he made a pitch to Brett. Greg, well, we could we'll do a book together, cooking with stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Be dead easy. You can, you can do a chick, you do a chicken in two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, there was. There used to be a little chef on the on the eight forty six. That's where we used to pass yeah. it on to Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, that was it. It's like Newark, the last outpost of the West. Forget Berlin. It's Newark. <laughs> Newark. Where they still eat hamburgers with knives and forks. <laughs> that should be on the signs. Never mind Civil War Town. Do, do, does the uh, little chef not exist at all now? Did they get Heston Bloom entirely to try and do some? Yeah, was that the last dance? 
That's the Yeah, yeah. Could have been. I, hang on a sec. I want to Google this now. Little Chef. Let's have a look. If I put Little Chef in and a picture of Gary just appears, that's... That's because Google's listening. Oh, hang on a minute. They have their own website. And the intro on their homepage is from 11 seats. We've grown to become one of the UK's favourite roadside restaurants with 17 Little Chef restaurants from Scotland down to, and then he stops. Uh, hang on, our locations, I'm clicking on. Oh no, apparently, let's have a look. Oh, I can't go on, it's not to say, <laughs> I tried to go on it. And it says your connection is not private. Always high risk, Googling Little Chefs. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Hang on, here we go. Apparently, they do a pick and mix three pastries for two ninety nine. It's such a shame Paul Daniels never got to try that. Well, where's the nearest one to us? Because we should go for old time's sake. Hang on, Somerset. Oh, I'm getting a one. Deliveroo. <laughs> <laughs> Deliveroo. It says Lincoln. Banger. No. Oh, I've been to that one. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Can you recommend anything? <laughs> not, not the Olympics. Yeah, England. Colstoworth, A1 at Grantham's, a little chef. We we could have to eat. Hang on. Let's do it. That's what's on the menu here. I want to see that fudge cake's on. Desserts. There's a, well, I'm up for the first one. Charlie's Chocolate Dream. Charlie's Chocolate Dream Sunday. There's carrot cake. There's Bonoffi Split Sunday Chocolate Brownie. What number? A Kentish Bramley apple pie. I'm assuming that's like a typo. Uh, Berry Berry Sunday. Shout out the numbers of the breakfast, see if anything's changed. Right, hang on. Breakfast menu. Here we go. I'm going in. I want to see if there's an Olympic. First up, the Olympic Olympic. breakfast. Can I read out what you get with the Olympic? Yeah. Two rashes. Is this the same? Do a checklist, Gary. Like you're looking at a plate before you send it out, right? Yeah. Two rashes of back bacon. Yeah. Brit- British pork sausage, singular. Oh, it used to be two. Wasn't that that old bad news thing when they get uh, on the comic strip when he's in the roadside cafe? Nigel Panic just looks at his plate. He's got one sausage. He says two bloody sausages there. It says sausages. Um, two brittle <laughs> fried free range eggs. Used to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Mushrooms. Mushrooms. Yeah. Sauteed potatoes. No. They were on. They were on the on the uh, American style breakfast. Is there some cross pollination here? Yeah, I think so. Hands across the ocean. Yeah. Um, I got a second. Griddled half tomato. Yeah. And Heinz baked beans. Yeah. Now, can I just say here? Did you, when you were laying the plate out, use the sausage as a breaker between your beans and your eggs? No, because the beans used to come in a little brown dish. And you used to have to microwave that beef. Um, oh, so they would go on the plate in the dish, so they would be kept separate in that way. They wouldn't be the wrong side of moist when it came onto the plate. No. Um, you had a choice of toast or fried bread. You just got fried bread. That was the only option. Cut diet. A heart attack or a heart attack. Breakfast burger, $8.99. Oh, by the way, the Olympics, $7.99. It's Not about bad. the same price. It, it, well, I say back in the day when it used to be called the early starter, 
it probably wasn't that much more cheaper than it um, like 20 years ago when I used to be there. Well, the breakfast burger is a pound more. But you get chips with that. Uh, and the breakfast butty is 3 99 three rashes of bacon. Oh, no. Oh, no, they, they do a, an early starter still, if you scroll down, but it's, it's a bit different. Oh, they do an early starter, 6 89 Yeah. Right. Hang yeah. on a minute, hang on a minute. There's a royal breakfast, which is 10 99 Apparently it's fit for a king. Elvis. And it's the classic <laughs> Olympic breakfast. <laughs> you know what makes it... <laughs> you know what... <laughs> between a, an Olympic breakfast and a royal breakfast is it's exactly the same except the royal has got a six ounce sirloin steak slapped on top of it and that's it I think there's, like I, I could just about live with the steak it, it's the idea of having chips for breakfast yeah you're breaking all the rules there I <laughs> like living in Newcastle wouldn't it I just... <laughs> yeah Look, the early starter is a rasher of bacon, a pork sausage, a free-range egg, hash browns, and baked beans served with toast or fried bread. Six eighty-nine. I think that's the that's the way forward, isn't it? It's, it is, but it's it's you don't get as much now. They used to get two two pieces of bacon and two sausages. Did did anyone ever complain about about your cooking, Gary? At that time, um, you'd always get some, but every now and again you get someone and you. You knew that they were all they were trying to do is get everything free, so they would they would like go absolutely mad over something tiny, and you knew why they were doing it. It wasn't any. Most people would go, "Oh, would, would you mind if if um, you cook this food? egg, <laughs> take it out of the shell?" <laughs> yeah, people say, "Oh, can I have a new spoon? This one's not not very clean." And you say, "Yeah, fine. You take it away. You give them a new spoon, and that'd be the end of it." And then you get other people who just would go really erupt over the fact they didn't have a clean spoon and you knew that they were doing it because they wanted to um, get it through. Oh Can you see? Yeah. Hang on. Get that way. There That's you go. That's fun. Paul Daniels. Oops, hang on. Wrong thing. That's Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee at Leicester Forest East. There, yeah. that picture. Google. That's looked, yeah. yeah. Did she have that red dress on? <clears throat> yeah, but she was. she got her back to the where I was. He has actually got the expression of a man who's just had an Olympic breakfast there. <laughs> Ga Ga Gary's got the expression of a man who's just been snubbed by Debbie McGee. Yeah. She had a she had a back to me with throughout. <laughs> I was very disappointed. Personally, for the rest of my life. I've just Googled Happy Eater and Ali Bongo, but sadly nothing comes up. <laughs> well, it wasn't his real name. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have signed in, he wouldn't have given over his COVID details under Ali Bongo, would he? <laughs> what was his real name? Do you remember? Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was Bongo. Bongo. <laughs> I remember the great Alistair Bongo. <laughs> Mr. A. Bongo. Uh, his real name is William Oliver Wallace. William Hi. Wallace. William Wallace, basically. Had to change his name, didn't he? Had he was a to. magician and a Scottish hero. Yeah, I think, well, I've been born with the name of a Scottish hero. That That is something that makes me immensely proud. 
but I would like to change my name to Ali Bongo. <laughs> Apparently, when he died, he left a load of cash to help struggling performers in his will. Didn't have anything to happen for you today, did they went bust. <clears throat> Gary, you know, you know when you finished your shift at the Little Share? Yeah. How, like, say you say you're midway, like, it's getting to five to one and somebody has gone for last orders on the Olympic breakfast and you get your two eggs on and you're looking at the clock thinking, I'll never make it to Filbert Street <laughs> because the, these chips on the Royal breakfast aren't yielding. Aren't yielding. The clock's ticking. There's queues coming. The other chefs come in. Do you, do you go, chef, your two, your, your two eggs have been on a minute. Those, chi those chips have been in seven minutes, but they're not yielding. I've, I've got your sausage. I've got your sausage here. I've got the bacon, two rashers. There's a steak on the go in the microwave. <laughs> my, dad, my dad's outside. The engine, the engine's running. The engine's running. Do you reckon? Do you reckon you could finish off? <laughs> Did that happen? I can tell you now. No. You you weren't ever allowed to hand over a meal halfway through. No, no one would have taken it. No one would have taken that. With non-yielding chips. Yeah. No, I tell you, the, the secret was though, you'd never have you'd never have had non-yielding chips because. You would you would partially fried them beforehand, <laughs> and then when you when you got a, a record, you know you needed a meal with chips. You just finish off ones you were about to use. That's how it was. Was it was there another strategy? So at ten to one, you've seen you've seen you've seen your dad. You've seen your dad pull into the into the car park with his in his Ford Cortina. Waving his two tickets for the game. <laughs> Palace at home. <laughs> and, and you're thinking, right, this policy, this little chef policy of not being allowed to leave mid-fry. <laughs> Midland fry. I'm just going to let these dockets add up here. From, from, from 12 minutes to one, they're like, <laughs> this dock is going. <laughs> you then... have to have said, you can have me tips. Or, so, or something like that. And that's how you'd have got out of it. Who tips a chef? Come on. Home. You what? Tips. Yeah, like... we, used to get, we used to get tips. So anybody who left a tip, we used to put it in a, in a bowl. And at the end of the shift, we'd split it. Wasn't like I thought that, that was the domain of the waiter or waitress. No, 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 because no. only the waiters would then get tips, and actually, obviously, everyone else contributed to the shift. So um, if you got a tip, you'd put it in the... Everyone would put it in the bottle. This sounds like full... amongst the shift. Sounds like full communism. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I tip, I never really think I'm tipping the chef. I always think, well, I'm tipping the waiter. Mm. Well... 
that's how it used to work back in the day. So um, all of us communists at the Little Chef. <laughs> Did it end up? So, so after Perestroika, was that practice over? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> So, uh, that was about the right time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, so uh, 1989 it was. So, um, so you saw the halcyon days of the Little Chef then? Mm. Yeah, when they still had um, restaurants on the uh, on the M1, on proper motorways, not just B roads. Yeah. And what was, your, what was your biggest tip? Was it like a seasonal thing, Christmas, you're going to get a bit more? No, I think... I think you'd, you'd get someone and you you know um it was it was almost the stereotype the even in those days you'd have the, the guy with his shirt undone a bit too far with a with a, a medallion kind of thing trying to show off to his girlfriend they'd probably park their tr7 in the in, in the car park so barry gibb barry gibb had been in yeah so, <laughs> and he'd try and show off by leaving a big tip so occasionally you'd get like a fiver or something and uh, and that, that was that was the you know and we don't used to get lots but it was and all thirty employees got fifteen pence each. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the person doing the washing up used to really kick off if they hadn't had their tips. Ah, oh. because they were the like the, the the forgotten heroes of the little chef, the wash people on wash up. So why would they get left in this communist state? Why would they have been left out? No, they weren't. They weren't left out. It was just that if if they hadn't got them at the, you know, when they're about to leave, so everybody gets to the end of the shift and you want to get out as quickly as you can. So yeah. Giving me tips, so someone would have to add it up and divvy it out and whatever. And then, on a so, daily yeah. basis, you were dividing the tips. Say again. On a daily basis. Yeah. Can't at the be... end of each shift. Yeah. Yeah. It was nearly always um, less than a pound. <laughs> it wasn't really worth it because there were, you know, there was so, you know, you've got two people cooking, you've got someone doing drinks, three waiting staff, a manager and a washer up and a dessert person. So, yeah, you've got quite a few people. It's like some big expose, isn't it? It's the, it's the greatest the things you never saw happen. I tell you, this is like a National Geographic series. Inside, little shit. <laughs> the expose. It was probably much better at every other little chef than it was at Leicester Forest East. Uh, uh, them down the road at Newark, they're getting £1.97 every day. It did make a great soap opera. Why not get a soap opera, the little chef? On tonight's episode. <laughs> He wanted to microwave the fudge cake for 10 <laughs> seconds. She did it for two and a half minutes. Amazing. Get out of my chef. <laughs> did you ever work a Christmas day? No, I finished. I finished just before Christmas, actually, that year. Would it have been open on Christmas day? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was open. And the people... They, they were never short of people volunteering to work on Christmas Day. Why? Well, it was um, like double time or whatever it was. 
So I used to earn, I think it was something like £2.10 an hour. Um, in yeah, in 1989 when I was 16. So, well, it, it was it was communist Russia, Gary. <laughs> How much were you expecting? Well, you know that was that was amazing. How to me. did you get there? How did you get there? Were you trabant? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> there was a staff bus. Did you have any regulars? Like, did you say? Uh, did you like R oh, stands in again for his? For his Olympic with a side order of Royale. There was a uh, there was one guy who used to come in quite often, and he he always complained. And it's like you sort of realise that if it was so bad, you wouldn't come back, but you keep coming back because you know if you complain, you'll get it for free. <laughs> so that's what used to happen. So um, it didn't matter what you did for him; he always complained about it. But he wasn't famous. Did you ever think about poisoning him? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose yeah. Could have given him something to complain about, but no, no, it never happened. Well, did you did you ever, did you ever see him walk in and think, right, tonight, Stan? No, no, no. The opposite. You're gonna have the best meal you've ever had microwaved for you in your life. <laughs> I'm pulling out the the beans aren't going to run in to the, to the mushrooms. We've got the brown pot, we've got the hash browns up nicely on the side. The the uh, silver service waiters have been out and polished all the knives and forks. Somebody swept up for the first time in weeks. <laughs> nothing, nothing can go wrong now. Stan, what do you think? But no, it wouldn't. It would. It wouldn't have mattered. These chips aren't yielding. Yeah. <laughs> they are, Stan, because they've been double cooked. <laughs> yeah, we were doing that before it even became trendy. Double fried <laughs> chips. <clears throat> so uh, it's not. It's not a period I look back on particularly fondly. I'll be honest with you. Well, I can tell you now. I do. I think this I is. <laughs> you were enjoying it more than I ever did. That's for sure. This is... But this you never is, had my cooking. So. This sounds really bad, but this is the most interesting thing I know about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've re I've realised that as I've been telling you, it is the most in interesting thing I've I've uh, I've ever shared. I think. And it's not all of us can say we've cooked for Paul Daniels. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And the, the lovely Debbie McGee. Did she eat anything? I think I. went for the one with the steak on top. I can't, I can't remember whether they they just had co uh, coffees or whether they had a tea cake or something with it. So they didn't have anything cooked for them properly. So. Where, where's this tea cake thing come from? <laughs> I wasn't yeah. even on the menu, Gary. You like a toasted tea cake with jam in a little pot. How much was that? Is that fusion cooking? A tea cake with an with, with, with Olympic breakfast. <laughs> I tell you what, there's fusion fusion now. There's something nice about the little pot of jam because it always looks so beautiful and so perfect. Yeah. Until until you open it, and then it's literally it is just one spread of jam. 
it's all over. And the glass is discarded. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't thinking about the planet back then on, in The Little Chef. It was, uh, <clears throat> it's all about Paul Daniels. Yeah, but then, I mean, also, just sticking with this little pot of jam thing, <laughs> they always had a, like, a sticker between the clear glass and the lid as if someone was going to break into it and yeah. it wouldn't be obvious. Yeah. Do not eat if seal is broken, one of those kind of things. Yeah. But it's like more, more, more debris on the flipping miniature jar. There was a lot going on in that very small space. Wasn't yeah, there? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, you, did you for your money? Did you throw a lot of food away? Oh yeah, yeah. There's always lots of food thrown away. Yeah, and not not just because. It was badly cooked because it was just cooked the same every time. It was, uh, you know, you, you either liked it or you didn't. You should definitely go to one, all three of us, after all this. After all this. See if they let you in the kitchen, you can cook it for us. That's the, that, that's the biggest aspiration after 101 days in lockdown in the city of Leicester. The most exciting thing I can think of doing when I'm released and I could go to any restaurant in the country, <laughs> I could do whatever I wanted and I think I'm going for the number 10, yeah. <laughs> the little chef. But only if it's cooked by Gary. Yeah. Could I we... could probably cook it now. Could we come round your house after lockdown and you actually cook us one? Like I a can... proper... <laughs> did you have to wear a uniform? Uh, yes, we did. Have you still got yeah. it? Like... <laughs> Handed it back. We used to have well, to... Someone uh, else... It was, a, Some... it was a, a striped shirt and navy trousers. And someone else wore that? Uh, no, the ones I had were brand new out of a packet, but you handed them back and, you know, you could have got them. They'd have been washed and... Handed out again. I but guess. Didn't, it's like it's like being in the police, I suppose. They don't want people impersonating little chef uh, no, employees on the beat. Like <laughs> you can go people to prison for that. To turning up in little chef costumes, cooking things really badly. That's what would have happened. That's just genius, though. Live and learn. I never knew that about you guys. Mm. There you go. Who knows which, Who knows what the next podcast will reveal? <laughs> That's the only mildly interesting thing about me. So you, you yeah. So no. I do come out of this conversation with one slight that bit of sadness in that Ali Bongo, as far as we're aware, never appeared at the at the eater across the bridge. No. But anyway. I like to think I like to think he would have done. <laughs> Have a chance. I just think Gary's a deep well of information, and this podcast is going to be about us pumping him for, for information. <laughs> yes. That isn't what happened, Gary. This is what happened. Your dad pulled into the car park in a Ford Cortina. Next week, Gary moonlights at Swiss Cottage. <laughs> uh, we'll be seeing Dad in there. <laughs>